Barbara Rainey describes the way many Westerners view the life of Jesus. It was so long ago and it was so far away that we tend to think of it as a fairy tale in some ways. And yet to go there and to see these places, many of them that are unchanged since he walked the earth, it makes it real and you realize it was real. Even if you know it in your head, there's something about the reality of touching it and seeing it that brings it to life. Welcome to the Barbara Rainey Podcast from Ever Thine Home, where we're dedicated to helping you experience God both inside and outside your home. Thanks so much for listening today. challenges faced by any Christian parent is that of helping their children understand and believe that the Bible is true. Sometimes the cultural and geographical differences between our own place and time and what we read about in the Old and New Testaments can get in the way. I mean, let's face it, there's a world of difference between Jackson Hole and Jericho. Modern Columbus is a far cry from ancient Capernaum. And yet we do believe God's word is true. Each event described happened in a real context. God recognizes that need for us to have tangible reminders and ways to prompt family discussions. His emphasis behind things like observing the Passover or putting up a pile of rocks was to help future generations know what actually happened. He wants families to talk about, to remember the amazing things he's done. Well, there are a lot of ways a family in, say, Kokomo or Juneau or Honolulu can help bring the Bible to life. Dennis and Barbara Rainey are here today to talk about one way they've done it. Let's listen to part one of their reflections on their recent trip to the Holy Land. And welcome to the Barbara Rainey Podcast from Everthine Home. We're glad you've joined us today. I'm uh, seated across the desk here from my lovely bride, Barbara. Welcome, sweetheart. Thanks. It's good to be with you. It is good. It's always good. We just had a little trip that represented some of our values that we wanted to share with uh, with our listeners. You want to tell them about uh, where this idea came from? Well, for a long time, Dennis and I have talked about taking our kids to Israel. The idea really came from some of the values that he and I have tried to implement with our kids all the way back to when we were raising them. One of our top values when we raised our kids was to impart spiritual truth, and not just facts. We didn't want them to just have head knowledge. We wanted them to have genuine encounters with Jesus Christ. We wanted them to know Him as a person, not just know facts about Him. And so that was one of our goals when we were parenting, and so we were always trying to find ways to engage our kids with um, people who were really alive with their relationship with Christ. So we introduced them to missionaries, and we took them with us on uh, ministry trips so that they could see God at work in the things that God had called us to do. But as they became adults and got married, our goal changed from doing that directly with our own six children to wanting to invest the same spiritual values in our grandkids. And so as we've had the opportunity over the last 20 years with different ones of our grandkids, we've tried to do the same thing. We've tried to take them places that would expose them to Mm -hmm. who God is 
and who Jesus Christ is so that they might encounter Him and want to have a relationship with Him too. So we took our kids to Israel, and that was the whole goal of taking them to Israel, was that they would encounter Jesus in His land and get to know Him and um, to want to know more about who He is. And this trip has been uh, in the works probably for a couple of decades, but earnestly in the last five years. Mm -hmm. We had to cancel it because of COVID. That's right. And finally, uh, the airports in uh, Israel flew open, and uh, we began to talk to our kids. And they said, hey, if we're going, we want to bring our kids. Yeah, they said, can we bring our older kids? Yeah. And we thought, oh, well, that wasn't a part of the original idea, but I kind of like that. Yeah. So we said... uh, any child who is uh, 10 years or older can come on this trip. Uh, we're glad that the kids picked up the tab on that. On their own, for their own kids. That's, that's right. right. Yeah, we uh, paid for ours, and they paid for theirs. That's exactly right. And, and uh, I just want to emphasize what Barbara talked about. We wanted our children to have their own experience with mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Yes, the Bible is a book of truth, but it's also a book that's living, and by living, we mean it changes our lives now, today, and our relationships. And we wanted our kids to experience that type of walk with God where it wasn't a once-a-week experience, but a day-by-day, moment-by-moment walk with Christ. And there's nothing like taking them to the place where God showed up, where Jesus put his feet on the ground and taking them to Israel. So... Uh, we went, and we decided we would make this real to them by giving them an assignment. We decided that one of the things we wanted to do to help them not just anticipate it, but also prepare a little bit, but to really engage, was we asked them, all of our kids and the grandkids, to prepare a devotion at different locations that we went to. And we didn't know how that was going to work. We didn't know if they were going to roll their eyes and go, oh, great, here they go. Mom and Dad are trying to get us to teach and whatever. We, I mean, you just don't know with your kids what their response is going to be. And so uh, I think Dennis and I both were just a little bit... Um, Apprehensive is what we yeah, were. Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't worried about it, but we just were questioning how this was going to go down. I mean, they're busy people, just like we are, and their kids are busy, right. and their kids are preoccupied. And um, But I'll have to say that one of the things that our kids did the best that I think was just an amazing contribution to the success of our trip is that when they landed on Israeli soil, our son Samuel and our daughter Ashley and their spouses took all the devices away from their kids. So our grandkids had no cell phones, no iPads, no tablets, no electronic games, no nothing. All they had was being present. They had their Bibles. They had a notebook and a pen. I mean, it was very old school. And what it did is it set them free from being attached to all these distractions. So they were able to fully engage. And I have to tell you that one of the highlights of the trip for me was watching our grandkids do these devotions at the different locations. We paired them up in twos, so they didn't have to feel awkward doing it alone. And we also paired them up in twos with someone who was not a sibling. So they did it as cousins, and they did it with someone who they didn't necessarily see very often or didn't necessarily know really super well, because none of our kids live in the same town. And even though the cousins know each other, 
none of them are just really super good friends because of proximity. So it was just so much fun to watch the older cousin with the younger cousin and how they figured it out and what they did and what passages they chose. Um, We gave them the verses and said, you pick the one you want to do and how you want to communicate it. And it was just really delightful. And what it did for them, as well as what it did for us, but what it really did for them is that it put them in the moment. It put them in the location. They read the story about Jesus for that particular location or about David, and they they got to experience what might have happened. The one that stands out to me the most is one of the ones that was the creative one. So we had our grandson, Nathan, who's 15, paired with our granddaughter, Rainy, who is 10. That's a big age gap. But the two of them put their heads together, and we were in um, the wilderness where David camped out when he was running from Saul. And we were at a location called En Gedi. Historians and archaeologists are confident that En Gedi is the place where David ran and hid from Saul, but it's also the place where he found Saul hiding in a cave. And David went in and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And so Nathan and Rainey decided they would tell the story, but they would also act it out. So they had some of the other cousins positioned around this spring where we were all parked. And it was just our family, so it was really cool. And they had a couple of them standing there, and they were Saul's soldiers. And another one was standing there, and he was David's David's man. And then they read the story, and they acted out, crawling into the cave and cutting off the corner of Saul's robe. And then they read what happened afterwards. And um, our guide even, you remember him? Yes. Uh, Ronnie was his name. Um, at the end of our trip, we all shared what was the highlight of the trip for us. And Ronnie said his favorite part was watching the kids act out the story of Saul and David at En Gedi. And it just was remarkable for us to watch them read the story. They will never forget that story. They will never forget En Gedi because they were there. They acted it out. They read it. They engaged in it by doing a, a play-acting thing. And they, they'll never forget that story. So it was a great decision that we weren't so sure about on the front end if it was going to fly. But all of the kids did it. All the grandkids did it. And they all did it in creative ways and in ways that were, it was meaningful. They did a really good job teaching the scripture at each of the locations. And I just want to compliment our grandkids here. They didn't complain. They did not complain. One time. I expected it, but they did not. Not a complaint Mm -hmm. about no cell phones, no Mm -hmm. video games. On and on and on, and and uh, one of the parents said to me privately, I'd love to ban them for good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'd just love to do away with them. Forever. That's right. Yeah. But I, I don't think we realize how much these devices are uh, distracting us from real relationships with real people and with the real God. Mm-hmm. And what the kids began to experience was Jesus showed up there. And they were actually walking around where he walked mm-hmm. by the Sea of Galilee. One of my favorites was where uh, Elijah took on the prophets of Baal. That devotion was uh, shared by Michael. And, and basically uh, what he did, he, he just read First Kings 18. You're up on, uh, on a mountain high above the Mediterranean, and you just pictured this story of Elijah confronting the prophets of Baal. And uh, you're a long ways from water. And a long ways from water. A, a long ways from water. And so picturing them all, 
all these barrels and barrels and barrels of water up to drench this altar. And uh, after, by the way, the prophets of Baal didn't raise any fire from their God because their God doesn't exist. But Michael, our son-in-law, read this story from 1 Kings 18. And uh, here you got 10 grandchildren gathered around. There were uh, three of our adult children and two of them brought their spouses with them, all gathered around this, this mountain talking about what that must have been like and what happened when God completely roasted that sacrifice mm-hmm. and the wood and licked up all the barrels of water with fire. And uh, you just stood on the top of there and you thought, this happened right here. Mm-hmm. God showed up in a powerful, powerful way. And that's what we're wanting our kids to grasp. He's not a God of a storybook. In fact, our son Samuel, at the end of the trip, shared something that uh, I want you to share with our listeners because it was profound, I thought. Yeah, it was interesting as we had our last dinner together before everybody flew out before dark (laughs) the next morning. um, We went around the circle and just shared what were some of the highlights. And I don't think anybody limited it to just one because there were so many, but Each of us shared three or four, some five highlights of things that had happened during the week. And Samuel had a really good summary. He said, you know, it's like I've always known this was true. I've always known God was real. I've always believed He walked on earth. Um, I've always known it was true. But he said, in a sense for me, it was as if God coming to earth was like Narnia. It was like it was make-believe. There was a sense of it that was just out there that I couldn't touch. But he said, being here and being able to walk where Jesus walked and touch the stones on the southern side of the temple that Jesus literally walked on. And he said there was something about it that took it from being a Narnia belief to a real belief. And he said, and this was echoed by others, he said, I want to know more. I want to learn more. I want to understand more because There's a sense in which I understand the realness of it in a way that I never did. And um, we just thought that was a great word picture, a great vision for how so many of us, I think, view the life of Christ. It was so long ago and it was so far away that we tend to think of it as a fairy tale in some ways. And yet to go there and to see these places, many of them that are unchanged since He walked the earth, it makes it real, and we re- and you realize it was real. Even if you know it in your head, there's something about the reality of touching it and seeing it that brings it to life. One of our stops was uh, that of um, a nature preserve that had all kinds of vegetation, mm-hmm. trees, uh, flowers, weeds that were from the time of Christ, including a cistern where they— uh, saved water, showed how how a cistern works, and then how a wine press works to get the grape juice out of the grapes. Mm-hmm. And, there and was, do you remember how everybody felt when we pulled up? Oh, yeah. We, we were all, uh, this we could going, be really, uh, this could go really south in a hurry. But this young lady who led our group, mm-hmm. where was she from? Was it South Africa or England? She had a British accent. Yeah. And uh, she had the kids and us mesmerized. Mesmerized. By mentioning how often in the Bible, all the vegetation that God created mm-hmm. 
and and he he designed Israel to be lush and beautiful, which it is today. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to Israel back in 1971, four years after the Six Day War, and I promise you, it was not lush then. The place had been ravaged; it had been uh, a, pl- a war zone. But now it's it for the most part is really peaceful, and there there really isn't a threat or a danger to being there. I know a lot of people wonder about that, taking mm-hmm. your kids and, and your grandkids on something like this. We really never felt threatened the mm-hmm. entire the entire time. No, it's really one of the safest places on the planet, to be honest, because yeah. they're so diligent about security. So yeah. we it was it was great. One of the highlights for me was um, going down to the Jordan River and participating in a baptism of uh, six of our grandchildren. Our son Samuel asked me to assist him in baptizing his three that came. And then uh, I baptized three of the Mutz girls. There's twins who were 12. And Rainy, interestingly, named after us, our last name, who was 10, and got a chance to baptize them and just declare Christ is Lord, Master, and Savior of each of those kids. And after I was done, and just was a, a celebration uh, down there as we did this, uh, a Jewish man walked up to me, and he said, um, would you baptize us? A total stranger. Well, we were totally caught off guard because these three men walked up, and they were sort of encroaching on our space because we were all crying and hugging and it was just such a great moment for our family but these three men just kind of were hovering over our shoulders it was really interesting it was it was odd and we and we just thought okay you know we'll get out of your way and you can yeah. you can have your turn because clearly people were there were a couple of locations on the river and people were taking turns and they would come down and they gave you everybody had robes on and it was very obvious who was there to be baptized and who wasn't. And these three men had on robes, and they were, we thought, waiting their turn. But they weren't waiting their turn. They wanted you to baptize them. And they didn't <laughs> know me from below the coal, and I didn't know them. It, it was, was really, it, it was, was really so a hoot. funny. It was because all of us watching were thinking, "Well, okay, then. I guess that's, uh, I guess that's what's next." Well, and it, I kind of, I kind of stood there in the water, and I'm going, and and this is exactly what I thought. What would Jesus do? Well, he'd baptize them, for goodness sakes. Yeah. Jewish believers. He's their Messiah. And so one after another, I baptized uh, these three guys. One of them uh, was a pretty good-sized guy, and he didn't know how to go down the water, and so he nearly drowned me <laughs> in the process of the Jordan <laughs> River. It was, it, was, it was really a lot of fun. And the last one, his name was Wallace, and Wallace said, I, I go to a Baptist church here in uh, Israel, and uh, Jesus is my Messiah, and I want to be baptized. And so we t- I asked him if he believed Jesus was the Son of God, that he uh, placed his faith in him as his Savior, Master, and Lord. And uh, so I baptized him, my brother in Christ. Uh, and this was kind of touching to me. But after we were finished and I was walking up the steps away from him, I turned around, put my hand over my heart, and I said, I'll see you in heaven. Mm-hmm. Total strangers. Mm-hmm. Total strangers. And uh, the kids, of course, witnessed this. And I don't know what it meant to them, didn't really, didn't really hear. But uh, it was a, a trip filled with adventure at every stop. 
And uh, we stopped at places on the Mediterranean. We went to, uh, as I mentioned, where Elijah took on the prophets of Baal. We went to uh, the Sea of Galilee, all the way down to Jerusalem and multiple sites there. And really, it was it was the adventure of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you're going places you've read about. Yep. In our case, for decades. And all of a sudden, it's alive because you're really standing uh, in the place where Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we were on the Sea of Galilee. It was perfectly calm. Well, the last time you and I were there, yeah. Back in 2011, we had a storm came up, and our boat wrecked another boat, and we nearly had people injured because mm-hmm. of the, the waves were so big and so stormy. So we had two experiences on the Sea of Galilee, uh, the two times we, we've been on the sea. And uh, the kids, I think, really enjoyed the quiet mm-hmm. and just they looking did. at the area and thinking about mm-hmm. Jesus showing up in the dark in the midst of a storm, and rescuing the disciples. Well, sweetheart, I've, I've kind of dominated some of the favorite moments for me. <laughs> I've got one more I want to share, but uh, what about you? you have another that you'd like to share? Well, there are just so many. I, I loved watching everything come alive for our kids and our grandkids. I loved watching them engage and take notes and ask questions, and um, I just watched their eyes light up. And that was really the biggest highlight for me. But personally, one of my favorite things that we did this time that we also did when we were there in 2011 is we went on a tour of the uh, the underground tunnels and area underneath the Western Wall. So the Western Wall is one of the pieces that's remaining from antiquity. It's it's not from the time of Christ, but some of the rocks way down underground, maybe, I don't know for sure. And I don't know that that they told us. But nonetheless, there was something about going underneath the Western Wall because there are all these huge foundation stones underneath the ground level. And they've built these, they've dug these tunnels, and you can go down there and see them and see all kinds of things. There's even a chapel built underground. It's amazing how much is underground. And so I think that part of what was so impressive to me this time and last time as well is that it's just such a picture of what God is like. We we know what we see in the Bible, and even then we hardly scratch the surface of what is in the Bible. But we have the Bible. It's above ground. We can read it. We can know what He has revealed to us in the Bible. But there's so much more mm-hmm. about God that we don't know that's hidden, that's below ground, like these foundation stones. There was a foundation stone that we that our guide pointed out to us that we took pictures of and we looked at it and he said, I want you to look at that. And we couldn't get close to it and touch it, but it was sort of across a little hallway that was exposed and it had lights on it. And he said, that foundation stone is the biggest one uh, in underneath the temple wall. And he said, it's 42 feet long, 10 and a half feet high, and like seven feet deep. And it's solid. And he said... Nobody knows how they cut that, where they cut that, how they moved it into place. He said that stone would weigh the equivalent of 60 to 80 African elephants. And so it there's something about seeing that stone that just made me appreciate the depth of God, the unknown side of God, the massive 
side of God that that we that we can't touch, we can't see. It's not available to us in the scripture, but but we know it's there because God is a mystery. God dwells in unapproachable light. Much of him is hidden from view. And that's the way those foundation stones under the temple are. And of course, it also reminded me of all the scriptures about laying a foundation and that we are living stones and Christ is the foundation stone. So there were just a lot of things about that one little tour that we did that made it one of my favorite parts of our trip was seeing seeing all of that and understanding just the implications that it that it meant to me and what it what it said to me about not just my faith but about the God that I know and that I'm trying to get to know. Um, it was it was really remarkable. And for me, while we were doing that, I was watching the guy who gave us the tour mm-hmm. underneath uh, the wall, and uh, I wanted to ask him uh, a question publicly to get his response. And he is a Jewish archaeologist. And brilliant, he's by brilliant. The way. He said he'd been an archaeologist for all of his career. He was probably in his fifties. Um, I want to say he said his dad was a rabbi. Isn't that right? I think so. I think he did. And so he has he's very learned, very studied. He really knew his stuff, but he was very personable, very relatable, and and had had stories that he told. So he made this this was another one of our tours that um, where the guide made all the difference because he told the kids stories as we went. It wasn't just facts, it wasn't just numbers, but he was telling stories along the way. So he was a really great combination of intelligence and all kinds of interesting things that he told us, but he he told stories, so he was very relatable, which you picked up on. And I, I just liked him. Yeah, I liked and so him, so I, I went up to him privately, and, and I told him, I said, you know, and I'll call him Dan. Dan, I was going to ask you this question publicly, but I didn't— On the tour, uh-huh. I didn't want to put you on the spot with my, my kids and grandkids uh, in any way to embarrass you, but— uh, I'm just wondering, who do you think Jesus really is? And um, he took my question to heart. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, well, interesting you should ask me that. And but while you were doing that, do you remember what I was doing? No. Everybody else had kind of scattered because it was the end of the tour and we were back above ground and you were talking to him and Ashley, our oldest, and I were standing there. And as soon as I heard you ask that question, she and I started praying because we were watching and I thought, I know where he's going with this. And I and I just thought, I'm gonna pray, I wanna pray for this man that he will have ears to hear. So Ashley and I both stood there and prayed while you were talking to him. Yeah, and I don't believe he was placating me. I, I, don't, I don't think, think so. I really don't. In fact, you're going to be surprised at his answer. He said, well, it's interesting you should ask me that because I've been asked by the Israeli government to work on a time machine where you can go back in time and visit the past. And he said, if this thing works, I may give you a call. He was saying, I'm going to go back to the time of Jesus mm-hmm. and just listen and look. And watch. And watch. And um, I told him I appreciated his integrity and his, his answer. And uh, 
I got a feeling if that time machine gets built, I mean, I don't know if it'll get built, but the Israelis are... I mean, they're, the things they create they're and brilliant. invent are amazing. Yeah. So who knows? I yeah. wouldn't put it past them. Yeah. He goes back and, and encounters Christ. Maybe he will find out who he is today. Mm-hmm. The King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and Savior of the world, the and, Messiah. And maybe that will be the way that others come to know Jesus as the Messiah, too. You maybe. never know. Maybe, no doubt about it. Because there will be many who will come to know him. Well, it was a lifetime trip for us, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Except it may that we may repeat it because the kids on the way at on the last couple days and as are sharing that night and even since they're all talking about when can we go back? When can we go back? We've got to go back. We've got to take the other kids that didn't get to go and the younger ones that you know were not old enough. They all want to go back and take the younger ones, and they want their siblings to go. So it may not be just a trip of a lifetime. Yeah. We may repeat it. We'll see. We uh, will see. The flight back was 13 hours I from know, Tel Aviv brutal. to JFK. That was a brutal trip. Well, and you have to plan this. Going to Israel, you have to plan it two years ahead, minimum, just because of getting rooms and you know all the details worked out with tour guides and all of that. The minimum you start working on it is two years ahead. So yeah. It's not, it's not deciding, you know, two months, oh, let's go to Israel. Um, it just takes a lot of work. So, Well, we're, we're good friends with uh, the owners of uh, the tour agency that took us, Morningstar. Mike and Sherry are, are uh, good friends. And if you're interested in checking it out, you can go to their website. And, uh, and they run tours all the time, and I bet they've got spaces on some of them. I'll so. bet they do. But uh, you might want to... If you got a big enough family, you might want to just host your own. That's what uh, that's what we, we really liked. Mm-hmm. It was great, Barbara. You know, it occurs to me that uh, our listeners may just need a little nudge mm-hmm. to make this an intentional part of their faith. To talk with their kids mm-hmm. about their experience with Jesus Christ, their experience with the truth of God's word, how they're growing today, mm-hmm. how they're seeing Him at work in their lives. And you're not meaning just take them to Israel. You're talking about everyday life, right? Right. I think that's one of the reasons why we have so many kids leaving the church today. I agree. They they look at their parents and they see see us taking them to church once a week, but God doesn't show up the other six and a half Mm -hmm. uh, days of the week. Mm -hmm. And I think we as parents have a mandate of Scripture. In fact, Psalm 78, if, if if uh, you get a chance to read this, Psalm 78, verses 5 through 8, talks about how God has established a testimony and has appointed a law. And what is a testimony? It's our experience of God. And what is the law? It's the truth. And, and in the passage, it says he has appointed these things that we should teach them to our children, lest our children become like our fathers who forgot God, disobeyed God, and rebelled. And so we're really involved in a relay race. And so I just want to encourage you, tonight at the dinner table, just uh, share how God showed up in your life today. And maybe this podcast is a part of it. Yeah, or how did he show up this week? It doesn't have to be something specific to today, but something that 
your kids may not know about, a way that God gave you wisdom in your job, or He provided something for you that you asked right. for, or He gave you the right words to say with a friend or a coworker. I mean, I, I think there are so many there are so many things that God is doing that we are not aware of or we're not paying attention to. And I think when we speak those, when we say to our kids, or even to spouses, or even to friends, to one another, but if, if we talk about what God is doing in our lives, it grows our faith, it grows one another's faith, and it helps our kids say, oh, this is real in mom and dad's life. This isn't just something that we have to do as a family, go to church on Sunday morning. This is, this is real to them. Um, and, and I think our kids need to see, see us engaging in in the in our faith and talking about it and and sharing with them what happened and what God did and um, they're they're not going to get it otherwise if it's just going to church on Sunday if it's just a list of to dos if it's just uh, a checklist um, who wants that we've got enough checklists. Um, what we want is a real relationship with a real God, and we have to communicate that to our kids for them to want it too. And if you're wondering where to start, maybe uh, open the book of John, the Gospel of John, because that book was written that you might believe in the Son mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, some great stories in there, and just read a, a paragraph about something Jesus did. Uh, I, I love the way the book concludes. It says in the very last mm-hmm. verse of the book of John, And it says, many more things did Jesus do in his life. In fact, he said, he's like the writer, the Apostle John, just kind of mused out loud and said, in fact, if they'd been written down, all the books in the world could not contain them. Jesus showed up on planet Earth. And he did a lot. He did a lot. And he's still doing a lot. He's still doing a lot. Still doing a lot. Well, I just want to say thanks to our listeners for uh, listening, for reading. Our blogs are setting new records every week. It's just astounding. Uh, Almost a quarter million people have read some of the most recent blogs. And uh, we're just thrilled to be able to minister to you. My wife, Barbara, has got a gift in writing. And uh, she's not done yet. And uh, neither am I. Stay tuned. Well, not only are Dennis and Barbara not done ministering to us in writing, but they also have more to share about their trip to the Holy Land. So stay tuned for that too. I think the main takeaway for us all is to work hard at bringing the Bible to life. Even if you can't hop on a plane and fly all the way to Israel, you probably can hop on the internet and browse photos and videos of these historical places. Or you can subscribe to Barbara's friends and family and check out photos and stories of the Rainey's trip to Israel. It's only $5 a month, and you'll have access to all the new content Barbara's added since January this year, including lots of highlights from their trip. To sign up, just go to barbarainey.substack.com. Hey, one really cool way to bring the Bible to life is by reading and meditating on the poem Barbara wrote titled, A Love Letter to the Lost in This Land, The Story of Scripture. In it, she uses poetry to examine the major themes of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. We've printed just a limited number of copies, and you can order yours for a donation of $10 or more. All the information is at everthinehome.com slash loveletter. 
I'm Samantha Keller. Thanks for listening today. Dennis and Barbara have more to share about their trip to Israel, so be sure to catch part two of their reflections on the next edition of the Barbara Rainey Podcast from Ever Thine Home. Thank you.